229 of the Survival Podcast. My special guest today is in the green room, the virtual green room right now. It is Nicole Sauce from Living Free in Tennessee, Holler Roast Coffee, Self-Reliance Festival, and a bunch of other cool shit. We're going to be talking about the five-year overnight success model. Five years to an overnight success with Nicole in just a moment. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is ButcherBox.com. Every single month, a great big box like the one right here, if you're watching the video, shows up at my house with a bunch of really great piles of meat up, pile of great pile of meat inside it, like you're seeing here. If you are blessed enough to be on video and seeing this versus listening only to audio and you can't see the delicious meat, but this shows up every month at my house, right to my door, perfectly packaged and frozen at prices that are no different than what I'd pay in the supermarket, but meat that is better because it's grass-fed beef, it's pastured pork, it's pastured poultry. It's like having your own personal shopper go out and do it. MSB members, you do get $10 off your box every single month. That's $120 a year in discounts on just one supporting vendor. So think about becoming an MSB member today in addition to doing business with ButcherBox because that one alone will pay for your entire membership. Next up, speaking of MSB members, JM Bullion, the place that I go when I want to stack silver. Now, you might say, why JM Bullion? I would say, why not JM Bullion? Let's put it to you this way. Who ships your silver to your house for free? No shipping charges. JM Bullion. Who has better pricing than Monex, Atmex, and Lear Capital and all the people you see advertising on Fox News with William Devane or whatever? The JM Bullion. Who gives you a discount if you're an MSB member on monthly silver purchases? JM Bullion. So why would you go anywhere else? You know, the whole point of silver and gold is you get the same thing no matter where you buy it from. As long as you get good service and get what you ordered, you're good to go. So why pay more and why not deal with a company that's been supporting the show that you love for 11 years? They've been a sponsor. That's kind of crazy. With that, let's bring our special guest on, Nicole Sauce. How you doing, Nicole? I'm doing great. How are you? I am pretty excited because I have you on my show. I love being on your show. It's been, I haven't been on your show in like years. I don't know about years. It's been a while. Yeah. You, think- you make appearances almost every Friday as an expert council member. Yes. When you have a segment in. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've had you on as a guest for quite a while. It seems like it, it's more frequent because we do our first Tuesday chat yeah. with John Willis, which will be this coming Next Tuesday. week. Yeah. 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 Hey, I, totally off what we're talking about today, though. Has January felt like a month to you where the weeks have gone like lightning fast, but the month has lasted freaking forever? Yes. Yeah. And, and like everything was hard in January. Every time I did something, it was like, poof, poof. And then yeah. I got over it. Yeah. It, it, it felt to me like every week just was gone. Like the whole week was gone. But then I was like this week, I'm like, it's still January. Like. <laughs> Wasn't that two months ago? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, hey, for folks that don't know who or what a Nicole Sauce is, maybe it's their first episode ever of the Survival Podcast. Who is Nicole Sauce and where does she originate from? And what well, does she do now? 
if you're an oldest child and you have siblings, think of the youngest one. And when they were two and they walked up to you and said, why? Why is the sky blue? But why does light refract that way? That's Nicole Sauce in a nutshell. Okay. I like to ask why. And I'm also kind of a pest for people who try to give me excuses about why they're not starting. So mm. if you come to me and you say this and that and that's in my way, I'm going to be like, but why aren't you starting? Uh, that, so that's, I think, really my claim to fame, Jack. But I did start as a liberal, uh, actually communist. I was, I was leaning towards communist in Oregon, going to be a public school teacher. And the good news is in my background in the family, we have a lot of entrepreneurs. So I had some sort of, I, I want to build a better life thing going on. And one day, right after they slammed through uh, the light rail in Portland, going from Beaverton to Portland, I realized I could have done it better hmm. if I was in control. And then there was a second thought that came to me and it said, in my head, but that wouldn't be fair, Nicole. You being in control is not fair. And that, I think, set the foundation for a very rapid change, first to being a libertarian, then to becoming an anarchist, where I realized that all of our structures are set up to harm people. And so I spent 14 years working in libertarian public policy at the state level. And the problem with that is that if you're working within the state system, it is set up to do what it's doing right now. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many times you quote unquote, win, you lose in 900 other places. So I decided one day to start a podcast. And then I decided this coffee I was roasting would be really fun to, to start selling. And then I came to your place and gave a presentation on it, told everybody that I am not going to go big with hollow roast coffee. And the minute the words came out of my mouth, I realized I was lying. And from there have built a wonderful community around me. They've come to me. They've built things I don't even know about. We work together on projects at each other's house and everything has changed. And I'm seeing people take control of their life daily, take ownership for their success. And it's just been a wonderful journey into living the life I want to live rather than having my life lived for me by participating in bad structures. Awesome. And our subject today is the five-year overnight success. Yes. So when you say that, what do you mean when you say success? I think success is something that is a relative term that everybody needs to answer for themselves. So for me, it's living the life I choose on my terms, not worried about what other people think. And I think that looks differently for everybody. And we get into a lot of trouble when we define success as being a lawyer on Wall Street or, or whatever. The, you know, being a doctor, maybe success for you is being a doctor. But if you're making the choice because somebody else thinks that's success, that is a problem. So mine really includes characteristics of having enough ongoing stable revenue that I don't need to worry about if I can afford my power bill next month, that I can go out to a restaurant if I want to and drop a few hundred dollars because the food there is really good to get my teeth fixed when there's a problem at the dentist and it's going to be five or ten grand. That's important to me to feel secure. So I, I want a foundation set for wealth, but I also want to connect homesteaders with agorists to build relationships, share best practices, and have a place where they can 
work together to build their own lives so that we have more of us who are choosing to be free every day and we can work together so we can be an un a healthy alternative to the unhealthy structures around us. It includes having time to have walks with my dogs, to grow my own food and to be with friends and family. So for me, that's what success looks like. And I love living that every day. I have landed there. That doesn't mean I'm done building success, mm -hmm. but I think at this point, I can stand up and say, I'm doing everything I should be doing. I'm prosperous. I love my life. I love my relationships. My health is good. And yes, I am growing financially. Awesome stuff, Nicole. I think part, though, too, when you say five-year overnight success, is that's about the observation of success. Also true. So we have a lot of folks that, that follow myself or you or many other folks that, that live their lives online in some capacity. And I think a lot of times there's a temptation to look at it and think, well, they did something because they're special or they did something because, you know, they must have a Madison Avenue PR firm. I sure right. neither of us have that shit. No, um, I ain't Ken Berry. <laughs> There's a perfect example, right? I asked him that recently because he got on the cover of some national Women's magazine, magazine, right? And he said, no, I don't have a PR firm at all. It's, it's just hard work and consistency and building things. Yeah. And I think a lot of people look at it and they feel like, well, this person just showed up and were successful, but none of us did that, I guess. And, but it is also, well, how were you metricing success? And I think when you start out, especially as a podcast or YouTube personality would have you, your metric for success is actually pretty low as far as getting that initial momentum. Like my yeah. goal in my first year of podcast, my first first year I was podcasting, a six month goal was to get to a thousand listeners. Yeah. That was all the way back in 08. And today I really like, I'd never pay the bills on a thousand listeners. You know, if, if my audience goes up, up or down a thousand now, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, you care not. But you need that foundation. And I think that people don't, that, that see only, they find you once you've gotten to a point where you're able to earn an income mm -hmm. at all for a lot of people think like you just did that and they don't understand the work that goes into it. Well, here's the thing about that too. So part of why I say a five-year overnight success is people see you, for example. How yeah. long did it take you to go from zero to a thousand listeners on the Survival Podcast? About four months. And how, how long until you had 10,000? Uh, a year-ish. Okay, so it took Jack Spierko a year to go to 10,000 listeners, which in today's terms of building a podcast is phenomenal. Yeah. How many years did you spend learning the skills to be able to do that? 25. 25. So you're a 25-year overnight yeah. success in that yeah. first year. Yeah. And we forget when we start a journey that – we are the accumulation of every skill we've learned. And some of us have different like superpowers. And when you tap into those, you can build something. But if you think you're going to drop a podcast like the survival podcast and be as success successful as Jack in one year without any presentation skills, you're wrong. Yeah, it was also 2008, right? So I drop into podcasting. There's 10% if that of the podcasts are today and there's nothing in my space. Yes. And that's first mover advantage. And that's, you know, that's something you create for yourself by recognizing the opportunity. Right. So there's a lot at play with that. Yeah. And and I think we see a lot of people on shows explaining how they built something quickly without explaining how long it really took and explaining that those all those times you've had to push through. Because I also know you're celebrating your 15th, your 15th year this year. 15th year. Yeah. 
over the last 15 years, have there been times when you were like, okay, if I want to get to the next level, I have to push. I have to work yeah. harder. Yeah. yeah. Are you in one right now? I am in one right now. Yeah. I was just I telling know. you before we started, I'm saying yes to things that I typically said no to because I jealously guard my time. Yeah. But there is a point where a percentage of growth becomes harder to achieve as your underlying metric goes up. Yeah. So to grow by, you know, to double you, your audience every year when you're at a thousand, you know, it's pretty easy. You're at 10,000. It's not even that hard at 10,000. I think it's actually easier to go from 10 to 20 mm-hmm. than like one to two because you yeah. have more people to help you. You start getting into metrics where you start talking about, you know, 100,000, 150,000, 200,000 listeners to every episode. That growth becomes far more difficult because you've captured the market share. We're not all going to be Joe Rogan and have millions of listeners or what. Mm-hmm. Right. We're just not all going to do that. Where some of us will be tightly niched in the to be able to grow once you're in that tight niche and you have a level of success. It takes doing things that you don't really want to do anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and that's important because if you don't want to do them and you're not going to do them and you're happy with the lifestyle business you've built. That's fine. And that's your success. And that's that's where I think it's important. If you grow just to grow and you no. don't have a reason why you're doing that, you will you'll work yourself into misery. And nobody wants misery. Well, and I was successful before I did this. And yeah. I was miserable. I hated my life. I was running multiple companies in the real world. You know, I had partners to deal with. I had employees that were like, I had some people that were like PhDs that were working for me. That's a pain in the ass. It's, it's Mm -hmm. way, it sounds way better than it is. I promise you (laughs) late night entertainments, recruiting recruiters. Cause we had one of our business was a recruiting business. They're all prima donnas too. The ones you really want, they already, they know they're bringing a book of business with them. It's like seducing an athlete to come play on your team, basically, right? Yeah. Like, and I hated that shit. And so success is, is you know, measured on one side with finance, but on the other side, like, are you happy? And so I've been very careful. Like, the growth of what I do, and I know it's the same for you, has never been more important than maintaining the lifestyle to go along with it. Yes, that's absolutely true. And relationships, because I have a history of, not investing in my relationships mm. that are important. And that bites you in the butt too over time. Yeah. yeah that, I, that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> I spent a lot of time traveling back in those days too. And, you know, I would come home and feel like my son literally grew an inch while I was yeah. gone. Yeah. He didn't, but it felt that way, you know, and that sucks. And I don't ever want to do that again. Um, now five years, that does go back to kind of like when I first met you in real life. Yes. So we're looking at 2017. You came to my workshop. You famously said, I'm not going to take Holler Roast full time. <laughs> yeah, no way, man. Your podcast, you had a following, but it was fairly modest compared yeah. to where you are at now. Um, how has your business changed and your following changed? And how is it different today than it was five years ago? Okay, so I have a question for you first. Do you, you remember meeting me in 2017? Yep. Would you say I had a poverty mindset or a prosperity mindset at that time? It was neither. It was in the middle. It was not quite. I couldn't grasp. I would say you had a prosperity mindset, but maybe an undervalue of your own value. Like you were not comfortable charging enough in some ways. Yeah. So I would say before your workshop, I knew I needed to change something. Okay. I knew my mindset was wrong and I would have put me on the poverty side of the line. Okay. For sure. 
at your workshop that changed. The moment it changed is after I spoke, you walked up to me and told me to increase my prices. Yep. And the voice inside my head had seven reasons why that was a bad idea. (laughs) And what I did is I shut my face and I was like, this dude is way more successful than I am. And I smiled and nodded. And mm-hmm. I went home and I increased prices because I heard I like I stopped all those doubts. And I was like, I'll give it a try. What's it what's it going to hurt? Like worst case scenario, my my current customer base, I can lock them in at whatever price yeah. and raise it on all new business. And it doesn't matter. Yeah, I didn't even lock them. I just went home and raised the price and nobody blinked. And I immediately started selling more coffee just because people perceived the brand as better. Also, I was happier while roasting the coffee because I was making some money now. Yeah, you have and, to make money. Yeah. You have to make money. And yeah. it's interesting, too. Like, there's a pricing curve. Yeah. And as you increase your price, you actually sell more. And, yeah. and the reason is pretty simple. If I told you I had this badass custom roasted coffee and it was a dollar a pound, you're, you would immediately say, well, I know that can't be. <laughs> so this asshole is buying, like, shit tons of Folgers and repackaging it or something. Right. So you wouldn't trust it. So as I start charging more, you start trusting that it is what I say it is. Yes. As I start charging a little bit more, you start saying, boy, this must be really, really good. There is a sweet spot where I'll kind of hit like the peak of what that'll do for me. And if I keep raising it, the price the, the price goes up, but the sales go down. Yes. And the perfect place to have a product priced, and this changes and you can never hold it perfectly, is just on the downside to the back yep. side of that curve where you actually lose a few people. Because the people you'll lose right at that peak, you're, they're your worst customers. They're right. the ones you'll spend hours with customer service with. They'll never be happy, and they won't quit, and they won't go away. But the only thing they'll chase them away is price. So you have a few less customers, a much higher profit margin, and a much easier to service higher-end clientele. But what made me tell you you need to raise your price was I, when I heard the story of where Holler roast comes from. Yeah. And now, and I'm like, okay, so that was the other side. Like, okay, you need to market the story. Yeah. Right now, all I know is it's coffee and it's whatever it is a pound. It's and like, but with the story, it's clearly worth $2 more, even though it's the same coffee. The story is the, is the sizzle that sells the steak. That is, that's true. And I knew that because I was right before 2017, I was working with free market think tanks to put story to policy. Because if you sell people on the emotion of a policy change, it could change their vote. And mm-hmm. if you just give them statistics, they care not. Correct. Which was really hard to do because most libertarian economists don't want to admit that this is true. Yeah. And it's like, I don't care if that's how you make decisions. I care if 50 plus one who are voting make their decisions that way. And that is the world. So I had walked away from I was not at six figures, but I was a couple thousand away. From okay. six figure job. And I was riddled with debt in 2017 as a result of that because I made shitty decisions. I hated my work life because it absorbed all my time. And I, in 2017, I'd walked away, but I was still fulfilling commitments to donors. So I was still working the job and not making any money. And I had this podcast with enough of a following that when I went to events in Tennessee, people were like, oh, that's Nicole Sauce. You know, <laughs> which you and I joke about that at events. Oh, that's yeah. Jack Spierko, right? Yeah. So I was a six figure poor person. I was a six figure poor person. That year, my my income dropped below twenty thousand dollars a year. 
I paid off some of my debt on that income. Okay, so I went from almost six figures going into debt to below 20,000 near the poverty line, able to pay off my credit card debt. And for scale, it was over $40,000 in revolving credit card debt, not counting mortgages and other things. Mm. I'm lucky I didn't have a car payment. Um, I was so worried about money that I was doing 10 side hustles at one time. I became your your side hustle expert as a result of this. That did pay the bills and I worked my butt off. But had I not over five years, let some of that go, Mm -hmm. focused on the things that were doing the best, I would not have landed where I am today. So what's different today is my podcast, it's nowhere near yours. I'm at uh, 2,500 listeners. My goal this year is to build that to 25,000. I have two active businesses in Holler Roast Coffee and Living Free in Tennessee, which does the Self-Reliance Festival. So I have this whole event center going. I have the best network of doers there is, and there's crossover with your network of doers. And these are people who are not energy vampires. Energy vampires in our networks eventually get kicked out because they're whiners and we can't handle it. We just, I don't know about, well, I know about you. I don't know about anybody listening, but when people start whining, what usually happens in person is that person does not get talked to. As a result of that, we have productive participation. Yeah. And then I managed to make a residual income source that I had sort of been building much more profitable, much more easy to manage. I don't even consider it a business, but I have rental properties. Mm. So today I'm way less scared about making ends meet. And this frees me up to make better decisions. And it's because I was able to focus in on what worked best. It's because I came across great mentors in the last five years of which you were one. And, and I'm able to build what I have today and build from that to something even bigger. Yeah, I think there's so much in that, honestly. <laughs> there, no, there really is. Like, there is a point where you have to start, like, shotgun approaching things. Because yeah. if you aren't going to pay the bills and something pays, and it's actually profitable. It doesn't just pay. It actually makes money. I'm going to do that thing, even if I have to work 18 hours today. Right. And, but then there has to be a point where you, you're treading water at that point. Yep. And if you're treading water right, you're throwing some of the water out of the pool. <laughs> the level of the water's going down. Yeah. So eventually you can stand on your tiptoes, and you can stop treading water, and you can jettison a thing. Like, even though this makes money, it doesn't make enough money. Yeah. Now that I can stand on my tiptoes and not die, I'm going to really focus on this thing. And then it's almost like a reverse debt snowball. Instead of, like, compounding the payments, you're, you're, you're getting to a point where you're like, okay, this is the thing that does the most for me, and so I'm going to take the least thing and get rid of it, and then the next least thing and get rid of it, and then what has the most potential and the most ROI and stick to a few things I'm going to do well. How did you sort through that funnel and figure out what you really wanted to do? I'm not going to lie. There were some tears. (laughs) (laughs) There was tears the day I looked at how much debt I had, and I made myself add up all the interest payments to a total amount every month going out. Yeah. And I realized I was working 50% of my month to service debt. Oh. Um, at this time, and I'm going to share a story that you didn't know if I would be comfortable with it, with it being public. Okay. I was also making space to put at least $20, $20 into Bitcoin every month. And last or was weekend or the weekend before last, I became a whole coiner. Freaking and it, it was like, okay, I'm not going out to dinner. Effect. I'm not going to a movie. I'm just going to put it here. 
Every yeah. time somebody paid me with Bitcoin, I hung on to it. The reason I don't care about people knowing I have a Bitcoin is I'm not spending it. Gotcha. <laughs> it's just okay. sitting there. But that would that's an illustration of how doing consistent things over time towards one goal, getting to the left of the decimal point, you can get there. And that totally relates to how did I filter through the, the, the noise, right? Mm -hmm. That was one goal that was important to me. I wrote a life strategic plan. What I used to do with corporations and think tanks was help them develop strategic plans for their organization or for a, a ballot initiative and then set the marketing for that and, and build the story. And so I had a method that I would walk groups through and I realized, hey, what if I do this for my life? And, and have a vision statement and a purpose and three areas of focus. What does that look like? And what that looked like for me was having a vision statement that this, that describes an ongoing state of being where I want to be. That includes what's important to me to achieve in the world. What's important to me to have in the world and what's important to me to be in the world. And it was for me, not my businesses. So I put aside all of the side hustles as part of this conversation, put aside the podcast. And I said, but, but what really is important to be happy? And that setting that vision statement took me months actually to really get it where I wanted to be. And that's because it was iterative. I would get one and then I would update it and then I would write a purpose to go with it. And then I compare them and then redraft them. But when I really drilled down, the three areas of focus were health and recreation, uh, financial stability, and then connecting people because that's my superpower, right? Is, is tapping into my skills as a networker to, to build those things for myself and the community. Cause for me, it's important to be helping other people. And that's just a me thing. So I put that together and then I started sharing my three things, which are the three do or die items I'm going to do every day up to three. So sometimes I have one three thing. Today I have one three thing. You know one what it is? Thing, yeah. I have one three thing. It's to rock it on this show. That's all that's important to me today. If I, if I rock it on this show, I'm good for the rest of the day. I will do other things. There will be other accomplishments. But if you take at least one step every day towards your life plan, you will get there. If you worry about your life plan or worry about you didn't take a step today, you're not going to get there because you're too busy in analysis paralysis. So I used the My Three Things method to really prioritize where I needed to put my energy and then have a regular cycle of evaluation of, am I getting there? Is this really paying off? Where is my time going? You know, did I just spend three hours on TikTok instead of actually preparing for the Spirco show or whatever it is? And having a public declaration of my three things every day held me accountable. That accountability kept me going. That little step every day equals, you know, a lot of steps by the end of the year, especially if some of those days you're taking three steps. So yeah, that's I, how I was able to focus. I used to call it head down, butt up. Right? <laughs> so like. I remember when I was a kid and my grandfather would make me dig the garden beds or I'd have yeah. to dig like a drainage ditch or something. Right. And you got to go like from here to way over there. When you're a kid, 50 foot, a four foot wide garden bed, that's the first one. Yeah. It's insurmountable. 
But if you kept your head down and you focused on the square foot in front of you, yeah, and you just kept stepping backwards and following the line that you'd laid out so that you went to the right place and you didn't look at where you came from or where you were going and you focused on the thing that you had to do, you had your head down, butt up and you were doing it. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you would stop and go, man, I feel like a break. And you turn around and go, well, shit, I got six foot. I might as well finish Yeah. before I take a break. And you don't even understand how far you've come. And when you're taking those steps, those, and I love that thing you do with the, my three things, like you set definitive goals for yourself every day on my, on my business. I do something similar on my farm. I manage things like with priorities are if I don't see to this today, is something going to die? <laughs> yeah, fair right? That's priority one. <laughs> if I don't do this today, is something going to be unhappy? Like it, you know, like yeah. it'll live, but it will be then it's priority two. And then is it just a random thing that needs to be done? And then you have your daily things that you have to do. And I think that we need to manage our lives that way. And it's interesting what you're basically saying. So I took the shit that I gave other people to succeed with and decided, you know what I should do? <laughs> I should use it for my own shit. Right. Yeah. You know, well, because it, it happens all the time. Like you have the solution right in front of you, but you're looking over here instead of right in front of you where the solution is. Yeah. It's funny. I was on a coaching call with somebody who had an hour booked with me and they had a problem they wanted to solve. And as we were going through the conversation, we got to about half an hour and where we were at is they needed to go get more information and decide their priority before I could help them more. And so I was like, well, it's been half an hour. I owe you an hour. Let's get off the phone and you let me know when you're booking the second half hour. Yeah. Because even in that situation, like wasting the time isn't worth it. No. Wasting the time because you've committed to the time isn't worth it. And I think that lesson was hard for me originally when I was doing all the side hustles and all like really unfocused. It was like, well, I've decided I do this this business unit, so I need to keep doing it. No, it makes me miserable. Why am I doing it? Excuse me, I need to eject a jog. But yes. (laughs) Um, So you asked me a question while I eject this dog, okay? Uh, okay. Um, so can when you get back from ejecting the dog, um, what are some of the things you had to overcome as you were building your business in your community? What are some of the things that kind of like popped up? Because there's always there's always something. Yes. Like when, especially it's like these TV shows like like these like melodrama shit my wife watches and all like the nighttime soap operas, basically like when the couple's perfectly happy, somebody's going to die. Like that's like when everything is perfect, some shit storm is coming and life actually does emulate that. It does. And and it's funny because when the shit storm comes, that's what you needed to grow. Yeah. And, and so I think a lot of the online coaches and everybody who's like, you can build your wonderful life by thinking positive thoughts. And that is not untrue. That that's very important to to because you are the te- the story you tell yourself. And so if you're telling yourself the wrong story, you will never succeed. If you're telling yourself what a failure you are every day, that's not helpful. But that's not the only thing you need. You need action to follow that. And so I would say the things I had, to, uh, the biggest things I ever had to overcome was myself. And I'm still overcoming myself. I will be overcoming myself for the rest of my life. And the first one was poverty mindset. And what poverty mindset did to me is in as I was building the life is I would see things that other people had and be jealous. Mm. 
And if you succumb to that, rather than say, that's awesome, how'd they get there? Good for you. How'd you get there? You get stuck in this mindset of they have more than I do and it's not fair. And you spend all your time there rather than like literally walking up to John Bush and saying, I see you do this click funnel thing. Tell me how that works. And learning something new, deciding if you can take something from it and moving forward. When you really internalize um, a prosperity mindset, you see people doing well and you're happy for them. And and it makes you see opportunities you didn't see before. And when you see opportunities, you can decide if they fit. I had the wrong definition of success originally. My my almost six-figure job was success. I had a great reputation, almost six-figure job, going further into debt every month because I wasn't home to, to do the things I needed to do to actually have a handle on my household. Um, energy vampires, I like to help people. And you know this because you see me deal with people longer than you ever would. You're, I'm, I'm a little more patient than you. <laughs> so when somebody comes to me in a bad place, I do want to help them. But if they're constantly like if every time I interact with you, I walk away and I do this. <sighs> yeah. Wow. That was an Eeyore, you know, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Uh, if that happens too much, I stop building, making space for them because every time I'm around somebody like John Willis, who a five minute conversation with John Willis while he's walking around his factory. And if you are not walking with John, talking to him, you're not talking to John nope. because he is always on the move. Yeah. He will have answered seven things I've been wondering about with something really useful. And I can walk away feeling super empowered. His brain works really fast. The same is with you. I can have a conversation with you. I feel great after a conversation with you, even if the conversation with you is like, Hey Jack, my whole world fell apart and it sucks to be me. And you're like, yeah, so here's some advice. And then it's, you know, whatever. It's like we pivot really quickly. Yeah. Um, I think taking things personally was a huge roadblock for me that it used to be when somebody came online and called me a poopy head. Yeah. I actually cared. Oh, you can't care. Can't care because there will you know, always be somebody to call you a poopy head. There's always somebody calling me a poop. I just did a big bathroom. Like a there will always be, somebody there will always calling always be somebody calling head. me a poopy With head. With a little bird emoji next to it. Like, but yeah. who's the real poopy head. And, I mean, every growth spurt I had had a hard challenge ahead of it, like my roaster catching on fire. Yeah. I I 2020 that. shutdowns. I almost gave up for a second there. And then I ran faster every single time I made a good decision. It was preceded by, well, that sucks. Oh, no, like incoming, incoming. Yep. And then it was done. I would say there are roadblocks I could explain that were more businessy or marketing roadblocks or supply chain. But none of those really matter as long as I was I had my head right. Those were just, oh, there's a hurdle, jump or go around or go through. Those are my three options. Which one am I going to do this time? You know, the mindset thing, too, with like being happy for people. Yeah. It's interesting how it gets reflected in the community you build. Yeah. So right here at 1225 was when you announced you'd become a whole coiner. And then yeah. this is this is what people did. Yeah. Right. So the people yeah. can't hear it. It's it's person after person saying, nice, congratulations. Yeah. Good job. Good for you. You're rocking it. Right. So like, you know, <laughs> I know this person, so I know it's fictitious. It's uh, it's uh, 
it's sarcastic. Must be yeah. nice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> must be nice. So I know that they don't mean it that yeah, way. Yeah, she's joking. Right. But yeah, like that's the person that won't succeed. Now you mentioned like when you come to me, it's like it could be really harsh. Yeah. But, but what I do to filter that whole energy vampire thing is I think, what is the, the most hard ass thing that this person might be ready to hear that yeah. they need to hear? And then I give them that. And then they either come back later after they cry or whatever, or <laughs> they take it right away, or they say, screw him, and they go away. Yeah, yeah. I just had one of those. It's actually going to be my segment on Friday. It's going to be like the uh, the segment on things that went exactly as I expected in alternate <laughs> realities for a thousand Alex, right? Like yeah. a guy joined MSB, five seconds later emailed me and demanded I do three specific shows the way he wanted them done <laughs> because I'm an asshole. And yeah. I assume that everybody in my audience is already successful, wealthy, and owns property. Uh, no. And he needs a real side hustle that's really not a scam that really will. And it's like, dude, I have done 15 years of my life dedicated to trying to help people like you. But I basically told him to get bent. I was like, that was my first opening. And he keeps emailing me back. And I yeah. keep saying, whether you understand it or not, I am helping you. And the fact that this is the fifth email I've answered shows that I'm putting way more effort into you than is typical for me. I mean, I don't think you've enter, answered five emails from me in one I, go. Yeah, because I only have to give you one. That's <laughs> <why>. <laughs> yeah. Because you'll go do the thing or you'll determine, well, I'm not going to do the thing, but I'm not going to blame him for not telling me the thing that I wanted to hear. Exactly. And I think that like there's a lot of people, they come to people who they perceive as successful. And again, this is a, a subjective term, right? It's not really an yeah. objective term. It's subjective. There's plenty of people who look at me and go, he's not successful. He doesn't have a million listeners. Right. right? He, he didn't sell his podcast to Spotify for $50 million. I don't want that world. I don't want yeah, people like you. Yeah. But they come to whoever they perceive as successful and they say, well, tell me how to do what you did. And then that person says, well, this is what I did. And then they say, screw you. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> And I think it is hard. I remember being really young when I yeah. wasn't successful at all. I mean, like scraping to get by in the J-O-B world even and asking people who I perceived as mentors to help me. And I was always like, why don't you just tell me exactly what to do? Yeah. But the is they can't. They can't. They can't tell you what to do. They can only tell you how to think, how to approach things. And maybe they can advise you in a specific decision Yes. What they think. But you have to be to the point where you're at that decision process. You mentioned the COVID shutdown. I remember you called me and went, well, like it, you went on for like five minutes about the choice of whether or not to buy a bunch of beans. A $5,000 pallet of yeah. coffee choice. And so on and on with the, yeah, this is good. This is bad. This is good. This is bad. And I would have to do this. And on and on. And I waited five minutes and I did not interrupt. And when she stopped, I said, buy the beans. Buy the beans. I bought the beans. Yep. Buy the beans. So I bought the beans. They doubled in price five months later. There you go. And I was able to not raise my coffee prices a whole bunch because, you know, which was good for my customers. And I had supply. And at that time, $5,000 was a lot scarier to spend than it is now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I knew you would sell them. And if nothing else, you had them. Yeah. Sure. I mean, if the world falls apart, people still want coffee, right? Yeah. It, it, more than ever. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm in, I'm in, I've switched to tea at this point in the day. Yeah, I'm on water. I, I, I know I'm a coffee roaster, but I can only do two cups a day. Yeah, because that heavy cream comes with it, and sooner or later it's too much, even if it is all fat, right? Right. Uh, 
Yeah. Moving on, let's talk about um, what are some of the breakthrough moments? We kind of talked about some of the things that like got in the way and we had to do to get through them. But what were the points like where when you did get through it, like you knew like I have, I have, I'm now set, I'm going to another level or maybe I've achieved that next level. What were those points where like when you got through the other side, like this was totally freaking worth it. If anybody has not been to Jack's workshop, <laughs> my first one is Jack's workshop. The first workshop I went to, I was a little, I'm an introvert. I'm, I see a room full of men who are prepper dudes. They're all badasses, right? That was my perception walking in. There was like two other women that year, except for who was on your staff. And luckily, Mike Vertrice introduced me to people. So that was helpful for me. But that workshop was a breakthrough for me, both in a what it's like to walk into a room full of people who are doers, Rather than a random conference, you know how this is a random conference, like everybody's yeah. saying one thing and their body language says something else. I find yeah. that very stressful. And yeah. it was it was like I walked into a room full of big brothers, basically, you know, and and that for me. So it's an emotional thing. And I'm an emotional person that that was important to me to have sort of that camaraderie. But that was the switch from poverty to prosperity mindset. And I have seen that switch happen to different people at your workshop every single time there is one. There's there's that one person who barely made the pile of coin to make yeah. the tuition. Yeah. They're they're like, man, my life is hard. And they share the story. And rather than people saying, oh, you poor thing, people say, have you thought about it differently? Yeah. And the ones who do think about it differently walk out of there and you know you see the moment they just go yeah. boom i had that yeah. moment there yeah. i went home you had asked me there hey why haven't you applied to be on my podcast and i said because my shopping cart's not billed yet and you were like well that's a good reason yeah <laughs> so i went home and built the shopping cart. cart and then i got on your show i was like because <laughs> no, you know they'll let anybody install one of those on a website right it's like <laughs> like half an hour of work yeah, that yeah, I actually the yeah. website I launched on your and then I was like, well, I'll do a Kickstarter. I'll pre-sell coffee, which I already know I can produce. I'll get a better roaster mm -hmm. as part of it. And I went and launched that on your your podcast and I three X to my goal. And I learned what it was like to roast coffee all day, every day and package it. So that got my systems under. So that was huge. And that all came from that workshop. I, the, the realization that I could apply what I did to corporations to myself, which everybody should do. Yeah. It, that, that made a huge difference because I could focus and whether you use my, my three things method or Jack's 12 stomps or go listen to his, what's you know, the, the characteristics of successful people podcast he did in January, getting that stuff together made me able to focus on the things that brought in revenue and made me happy because there were things that brought in revenue that made me miserable. And I jettisoned those. There were things that did not bring in revenue that made me happy. And then there were the things that brought in revenue and made me happy. And then I, once you have that, your work doesn't feel like work. No, your work feels like you're just living a pretty cool life doing what you love. Uh, the development of the GSD crew, which started because I met Sean Mills at your workshop. See, it all goes back to the workshop, guys. All goes back to the workshop. Um, aligning with Sean Mills and then adding the other Tennessee Get Shit Done crew people, which then 
built the podcast community, set the standard of doers and ended up with, uh, I have a community of neighbors who all listen to you. They listen to me. We do on do projects together called the holler neighbors Mm -hmm. that built for me a family of people that are not a traditional family, but we have the same outcome as, as having, you know, a family that's working together towards long-term achievement for everybody. And then June, 2020 was big. Okay. June, 2020. Okay. So we had shutdowns. It was clear that fascists were going to take over the world. We were all going to die. We were going to be forced to get the thing and, or we wouldn't be And dystopia was happening and no business could be made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you chose to actually grow that year. And then there was more growth potential that year than you could ever do. And it took me till about June to figure out what that looked like, but that was big. Yeah. And then there is one other person that's helped me a ton as to have you, you know, who it is, right? I'm assuming it's John. John Willis from special operations equipment. The day he asked me, (laughs) yeah, he heard my podcast in June of 2020 about, I'm just going to grow anyway. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'll buy some coffee. Come out, you know, like send me some to taste. So I drove out rather than sending it to him so I could meet him in person, did a tasting. And my my business doubled between then and the rest of the year in six months. So those are all breakthrough moments. I think when people build what they're going to do and start focusing in your breakthrough moments will be different. But if you look at mine, it's people, people, people. One realization, all the rest of it is people. It was also because you were trying. Yeah. There's nothing that'll make a person willing to help you more than watching you try. Right. <laughs> like I'm a good hard trier. <laughs> but there's people that, well, they don't try. They keep talking, but they don't do anything. And so, like, basically, if I'm if I'm there and I see you trying to push your car, I will park my car somewhere safe or use my car and push your <laughs> car with my car. Yeah. My challenger, I'll get out of the car and I'll push your car. <laughs> yeah, not with right? the challenger. Right. But I will help you. But if you sit there and go, man, my car's stuck. Well, let's push your car. Nah, man, I, I can't push. Then neither can I. Bye. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a filtering. Man. And the thing about successful people is they say no a lot mm-hmm. and they say more than they want. They say no more than they want to say no. Because they have too many opportunities to say yes. Yes. So there has to be a filtering mechanism of quickly getting to know with the right things. And one of those is, will my effort matter? Am I investing myself here? Like when I do this, will this person actually use what I give them? Because if they Mm -hmm. won't, then it's mental masturbation, which I'm not into. That that doesn't really help me very much. right? No. We're going to talk about your success, but you're not going to ever have it. So we're just amusing our minds. Right. And then the next one is like, will this person act quickly? Will they do something with it quickly or will it bounce around for a long time? You know, because if it's either one of those are no, like then I don't have time. I have to get to know because I want to say yes to people and I need to say yes to the people that are going to take and act on on what you give them. And the other one is, is this person ready? Right. Also so true. no doesn't always mean no forever. It just means not now. Mm-hmm. But I, you've got to make that decision. And nothing puts you on the other side of yes quicker than seeing the person having some success, maybe not as much as they could. But they're like there's some success there. They've done a thing. Yes. If you think about like Shark Tank, right, people will come in. They have this great idea, this great product, whatever. But they don't have a business yet. 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're venture capitalists. <laughs> we're not business coaches. Right. I want to invest in a business. You have a great idea, a great product. You're not ready for my money yet, right? Because you don't have a going concern yet. You sold $10,000 worth of something that's in a $50 gazillion market. Yeah. You don't have a, you don't have anything that I can enhance. Right. And so, you know, you and I, we're not sharks in the shark tank, but it's kind of the same approach. Like, are you at a level where you're ready to engage and go to that next point? And 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 everybody that looked at you back then saw that in spades and was like, this, this, this chick's a hustler, man. She's going to make things happen. I am. If we can help, we should. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny because people always ask, how do I monetize my podcast, YouTube channel project? Right. I get that question a lot and I look at their stuff and the last time they put a podcast out was a few months ago or the last time they made a video was last year and they're wanting to start it again and they need to worry about how to monetize it. And I'm like, well, what you need is a following. And the only way you get the following is the consistency and having interesting content. Yeah. And some of your content early on is going to be crap and that's okay. It's better to put out, I'm still learning and this isn't perfect consistently than spend a year putting out perfect and then not do anything for another year until you put out perfect again. Agreed. And, Agreed. and I mean, that's, that's something. And so, and it's just like, well, you're not ready to monet to worry about how you're monetizing it yet. What you're ready to do is do that on a schedule. And, you know, I understand how hard that is. I had eight podcasts and then a three month break and then did my next podcast. And that's when I got consistent. It, you know, it's building it into your life can be weird at first. And I don't know, it's a decision at some point. So you had breakthrough moments mm-hmm. you had a point where you can look and say, my life's pretty successful now. Yeah. I'm not freaked out. If I have an unexpected couple thousand dollar expense, I'm pissed, but I'm <laughs> not freaked. Right. I think that's kind of the definition. It's only going to happen to me Thursday, but yes, you know, like I had to do well, four grand into a well pump this year. Yeah. I was like, very angry, <laughs> but I wasn't like, oh, my God, will we be able to buy bread? Yeah. You know, and, and so you had that moment where you realized you are. Was there a moment, though, where you realized you would be? Yeah. So 2017, I would say, would be when I really, truly started on the journey. And between 2017 and 2020, I was pretty much not sure I was going to make it the whole time. I was, it was building every year. I was working really hard. There were things that were going, but I wasn't really entirely sure that I would make it through yet another January because January is usually my lowest month for the coffee. And then I was like, that's it. This year is my breakthrough year 2020. I'm going to just, I'm going to go visit coffee farms and I'm going to go to all of these conferences and I'm going to, I started with the rogue food conference in February and I was like, this is it. And then the shutdowns happened. Mm-hmm. And when I got to the other side of the emotional, it, for me, that was a very emotional thing because I was I was watching propaganda in a way that I had studied when I studied how the Nazis took over Germany. And so I think that helped me see things a little bit better. Uh, but I know how that story ends in Germany. And I really don't want to see that story end that way here. And so that for me, there was a lot of um, fear. Right. So I. I really had a hard I mean, it literally took me from April through May 
to to process that, even though I was, you know, sharing with people how to how to build, you know, how to make cheese and all the other things I did, how to start side hustles. In June, when I made the decision to grow, no matter what happened, I also knew that I would be successful. And I think had I not done that, it would have been had I made the other choice, I would be I would be on this. I wouldn't be on your show today. I would be, you know, working at a job somewhere you know, probably back to teaching in the government schools. Cause that's the easy button for me. But yeah, it was, it was that 2020 moment and it was the choice that I made. And I realized now that I've made this choice, nothing can stop me. Yeah, It doesn't matter what happens at this point. It doesn't matter if I get pneumonia, it's not matter if the economy crashes, I'm going to be successful. It, Cause failure is not an option for me. Failure is death. You know, it really is a mental shift, too. And it doesn't matter what stage it is. It's yeah. a mental shift. For me, with my podcast, it was I was two weeks in. Yeah. I had like 10 subscribers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I was actually shocked I had 10 subscribers because I had like eight episodes. <laughs> weeks, you know, and um, but when I got home, I didn't want to punch a hole in the wall. Oh, that's important. So after getting off the road and being on the road for over an hour and dealing with all the shit I didn't want to deal with, I got home and I didn't want to punch a hole in the wall. Yeah. And so I was like, so the, I actually like doing this. Yeah. And I just figured with my work ethic, if I enjoyed doing something that could become successful, then it would become successful. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I was like two months into it before I even told my wife I was doing it. Were you a little embarrassed when he told her? No, it was just like, it, was, it wasn't, a th- so when I started it, it wasn't really like a big deal. Yeah. It was just another one of my things. I'm always doing something. Right. right? So it was like, I got this little recorder. I started making it. I actually <laughs> did it because we had a client that wanted a podcast and my web dude didn't know how to, how to do the feeds and stuff. You got to remember, this is 2008. Yeah. We had WordPress, but there wasn't exactly a plugin for everything. It did turn out there was one for podcasting. Yay. And so I'm like, well, I'll figure it out. So like the first week was really just like, ah, you know, this preparedness thing. I like this. I like teaching. Let's see how it goes. And like, and I'm like, I actually kind of like this. So by the end of the second week, I had actually formulated like my initial plan to get to a thousand listeners and my listener appreciation contest. And I found this little thing called Stumble Upon that was an advertising platform. Oh, I remember Stumble Upon. Right. Yeah. And so I had actually kind of formulated a basic plan for growth, pretty modest growth. Yeah. And I like doing it. And so then I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to keep doing this. And I thought about it. I'm like, you should probably tell your wife you're going to do something if you're going to keep doing it. So I talked <laughs> to her. And I remember I said, I said, within a couple of years, I'll be on the Clem Beck show. Yeah. And she said, OK. But she also said, well, how do you know that? I'm like, I don't know. I just it's the it's it's the right fit. And it was yeah. like 18 months in. I was on Clem Beck show. Like, but it was that shift. It was just like, oh, this is going to work. And I think a lot of people go into something and they go in with like, they don't mean it when they say it though. It's like that fake thing, like fake it till you make it. Yeah. I think when you actually make that shift, sure things could, I mean, let's say Apple at, in, like, in 2008 decided podcasting was a stupid idea. Yeah. And shut down um, Apple, whatever it was, iTunes. iTunes. Podcasting at the time. That would have changed. That could have been devastating to that business model, right? Mm-hmm. So, and if I would have tried to do a podcast in 2001 when there wasn't podcasting, it wouldn't work. So it doesn't mean nothing can destroy a business that's outside of your control. But I think it's such a minority 
of things that could actually do it because people would say like, Oh my God, it's COVID. They're shutting everything down. And I'm just looking at your business and going, so you ship stuff that people really want <laughs> when they can't go out and they can buy it on a website and will come to their door. Yeah. I'm thinking this is an advantage. Yes, this is an advantage. Maybe we should, you should do more. <laughs> the best part is once they get it and taste it and then go back to the other stuff, oh, they're like, Oh no, Oh no, <laughs> I no. Can't drink this shit. Right. <laughs> I get a lot of emails about that. I can't, I can't drink Starbucks feel. anymore. <laughs> uh huh. I've had people that have told me I've ruined them on coffee just by teaching them that there are kettles that control the temperature yeah. of the water, and you can c- c- dial in your coffee to your way based on temperature of brewing. Like, like I have a couple now. They both they bought two kettles because the husband and wife disagree. Yeah. One wants two hundred degree water, and one wants like one ninety degree water, and they actually <laughs> argue about it. So they got their own French press and they got their own kettles and they're not allowed to touch each other's. <laughs> it's, 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 but see, like, how would you know that if somebody didn't tell you? And then, yeah. then that person has an affinity with you. So, like, when somebody finds really great coffee from you, they'll also find out, you know what, there's other really great coffee. I, did, I didn't know I was right. drinking shit my whole life. And they actually become, they'll branch out and try other brands that are really good. But they'll always have an affinity with, Holler roast and a cold sauce because that's how they discovered right. really great coffee. Well, and I think those little things, like the temperature of the water that makes your coffee perfect every day, yeah, it's something that takes you five minutes to do every day. Yep. And you have joy from that. And the more of those things we can build into our life that are not like I just paid uh, however much it costs to skydive, 600 bucks to go on a skydive. It's actually making your life more luxurious with very little money, monetary yeah. outlay. And people look at you doing that and they're like, wow, you're so prosperous. You can spend five minutes making your coffee to the exact temperature you want with a $30 kettle and a $30 yeah. French press. Yeah. It's like, well, I, pe- I spent $60 on this. Yeah. And it's you every day now. <laughs> and I have it every day. Yeah. And you're talking about how much time I take to make my coffee while you stand in line. Fine. For fifteen and five dollars on your coffee, while two yeah. Cathy's hold the line up in the front because they yeah. want a wisp of cinnamon in their half calf, half whatever the hell avocado toast infused whip it. I don't yeah. know, right? Like <laughs> mm, whip it. PSP twenty three whip it. The avocado toast infused whip it. Yeah, avo whip it. <laughs> there's 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 one percent of this audience that knows what a whip it is. I know because we we're all on the air before, so they might be more. Yeah. Um, are there areas that you would advise people to build or take care of that are not part of the normal business building advice? I would say the normal business building advice is really good, and that's why I don't give it to people because <laughs> I feel like you could have already found it. Okay. At this point. And, but if this one's hard for people, especially in the prepper space, if your house is not in order, it's way harder to be successful in business. And I literally mean your house. Do you have laundry? Do you have laundry mountain right now? No. And is laundry mountain a problem? <laughs> if that's the case, that is something you can work on right now while you have a job and figure out the system to make that work for you rather than to, to bog you down. I say this as a person who's a messy and a clutter collector. So believe me, I understand the mindset. My house is not always in order. But 
I set up systems for things to keep them in order as best I can. And what I learned from that is how to set up the same systems in business. The same goes for your relationships. Are your relationships in order? If you start a business and your relationships are not in order and then you get a divorce second year into your business, do you know what happens to your business? <laughs> what happens to your business is you might keep going, but it's usually hurt. Almost everybody I see who's gone through a big downturn and, and then come back up unexpectedly. And I'm like, what happened? They're like, yeah, so my wife, husband, whatever left me and we had to go through this divorce mm -hmm. and it took all this time and they couldn't do it. And sometimes those divorces are avoidable if you invest time in your relationship, like, like you did with Dorothy when you were really busy and put her on your calendar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, and I understand it can feel funny putting somebody on a calendar, but if, if you want to have good relationships and you do, because your, your relationships, I think are more important than almost anything in your life. I would probably say anything except for your health, maybe. Um, yeah. Those relationships with your family, with your friends and your business relationships are gold. It's like money. And if you don't treat it like that and as something important, they will go away. Um, be fearless. This one was hard for me. Be fearless about building what you want, not what normal people want. Normal people are wrong most of the time. Normal people look prosperous and aren't. They're debt-written. Normal people usually have weird underlying health problems. Normal people do not have control of their schedule. Somebody else controls their schedule. Do you want that? If you don't want that, figure out what you want. Be fearless about pursuing it. And when somebody tells you why you can't do it, put them on the vampire list and go talk to somebody who will tell you what you can do. I never want to hear why I can't make cheese and be safe with my food or whatever it is. I want to hear what am I doing wrong and what can I do to do that safely? And that's a totally different way of giving advice, but it's very easy for people to sit on their couch and just be like, these are all the problems with what you're doing. I just did a bathroom remodel, Jack, and it went yep. horribly wrong. I had to re redo floor joists and reframe a wall and all sorts of cool stuff. And I put video out about it every day. Do you know how many times I heard what I was doing was wrong? And I, I was going to die. <laughs> it's I not as long. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah. My tub is going to fall through the floor and I'm going to die. Well, and I had a lot of really great advice as a result of sharing that. But I ignored all the wrong stuff. If somebody says I'm wrong and I'm like, logically, that's wrong. I mean, I might actually consider it first. I will consider it, but I don't yeah. over obsess on it. I'm fearless about that. This next one, learn about permaculture, learn what permaculture is, how it works and apply it to things that are not plants in your yard or livestock in your yard. You mm. can permaculture how you organize the things in your kitchen. You can permaculture how you do business. What I know about permaculture is the more I learn about permaculture, the less I know about permaculture. And that's OK. Yeah. <laughs> it's the ultimate Dunning-Kruger curve. Yeah. It really is. You're like, I I understand I've it. I've got it. It's zones and it's a food forest and a swale and what's well, more than that. And then it's an herb spiral. Yeah. <laughs> and your expertise goes down to zero and your yeah. confidence goes. But then you start to get really confident. But then it's a constant learning process going forward. 
And I, I do think that it's one of the pieces of advice I've given many people. Like, how would you approach this from a permaculture mindset? Right. If they know permaculture, then that's easier for them. But yes. if not, maybe you need to start there. And then that's not really what you want to hear from someone you're asking about business advice is go learn permaculture. Design. Go learn permaculture. But, <laughs> but it, it, I think it makes it a lot easier to design a business because it, and it makes it easier for me to console with a person, too, because I don't explain yes. why to you. Yeah. Right? Like, like, well, obviously there's an interaction there. So since there's an interaction there, since we can function stack that, of course we would do that. Why wouldn't we? Yeah. Um, when I started having these discussions with my former business partner, Neil Franklin, he said a lot of what we describe from a permaculture standpoint into business that in conventional business, they're not unknown. They're just generally not talked about until you're at kind of a higher level and they refer to them as soft values. Yes. So especially when you get into things like forms of capital, like social capital, mm-hmm. and cultural capital in a business, those are soft values of the business. So a lot of times we're just using different words for the same things, I think. But I, I think, think yeah, that's true. that's like if you're not building a culture into your business, why are you even building a business? Well, yeah. You and know? you get you brought up a good one on your podcast this month. Get more fit, eat right and start walking every day. Yeah. When you. When you need your mind to be sharp, if your body's not, you're in trouble. And, you know, people hearing this who are over 350 pounds right now and shouldn't be, that can be that can be something that you don't want to hear. But literally getting up and walking for 15 minutes first thing in the morning before work, if you're working a job, and start making a difference. And next thing you know, it's a half hour, then it's 45 minutes. And you're feeling better and you're yeah. making better decisions. And that's that's one some business people do talk about, but not a lot. Not, not enough. Not enough. I do think successful business people and you always get the bullshit pushback, which is an excuse for them not doing it. Yeah. Say, I know this guy. He's really successful. He's like 400 pounds and he right. eats cigars or whatever. Right? You know? <laughs> and it's like, okay, no, but the majority of people I know that are successful in business are in decent physical shape. Yeah. And they put some effort into maintaining and improving that physical shape. And they tend to put more effort as they get older because they know that they need to so that they can fight against the tyranny of time. Yes. Right? They know they need to. One guy wrote in and he said, you know, I noticed I go to L.A. Fitness and I see complete jalopies and yeah. like Mercedes and Lamborghini yeah. in the parking lot at 24 Hour Fitness. Across the street at Sonic, I never see a Mercedes you know, mm-hmm. XL supercar or a Lamborghini or a, a, you know, a modern vet or something like that over at Sonic, the jalopies mm-hmm. go there. The mom mobiles go there. The SUVs go there. The dude driving the Lamborghini doesn't go to Sonic. Yeah. The dude driving the Corvette to does go to Sonic. What's that? The, there's one dude who drives a Corvette. I know who does go to Sonic. I do know who that is, but I think he goes more for the dog than himself. I, yeah. And the, um, the limeade or whatever. Harry limeades. That's his, <laughs> that's his vice. That's his vice. Yeah. But, you're, but I, you are correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that we can know who that is. Yes. Like we have our. Own, that's the other thing too. Successful people that work together have languages that you will not yeah. understand. They they know things and they use symbolism and secret code languages. But for the people that want to make the break into that world, and they're mm-hmm. like, you know, the side hustle stuff sounds like a good way to do it. Because there's pretty much two ways to establish a business from zero. Yeah. You do it part time until you can transition to full time and you side hustle your way into it. Right. And then there is I just quit everything and just go full bore. Right. That doesn't always work. You know, like. So 
what would you tell somebody that wants to take the side hustle approach and they're like, this is my year. I want to do this. I want to emulate these other people. I want to be like them. I think you know what I'm going to say, Jack. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> why haven't you started yet? Literally, why haven't you started yet? I see a lot of discussion lately about what side hustle should I start? This one's not going to make me enough money. Blah, 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 blah. Start something. This weekend, decide what you're going to start. And I don't care if it's making green quail avocado toasts in a food truck and selling it on a street corner. Start something. It might fail. It, But find something that's a low risk to entry. Like you just start selling the avocado toasts, and it either sells or it doesn't. Don't worry about how you're going to make a million avocado toasts in the future when you're wildly successful. Don't worry about if you've launched your website yet. You should launch a website if you get to the, you know, yeah. at some point. But if you're not starting and all you're doing is worrying about it and wondering what to start and you start nothing, you don't learn anything. If you don't learn anything, then you don't ever get out of the job if getting out of the job is what you, what you want to do. So I would say less thinking and more doing. You can think while you're doing if you're driving Uber. Literally, like you might have to talk to the person in the car. But when you're driving to your next one, you can think all you need to think. And meanwhile, you're getting a little bit of coin. Every time you earn money on your side hustle, do not build it into your household budget. And next thing you know, you'll have something to start with when the right idea comes. Or maybe the thing you started is the right idea. That's, that's it. It's, it, I, it sounds so simple. And people hate simple answers because they want it to be harder than it is. The hard part is doing it every day disciplined. That's the hard part. It's not Agreed. the thing itself. Is podcasting hard, Jack? It's not. No, it takes time. Though. But it's also not simple. No. Right. It, it, it's, 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 it's simple, but it's not easy, I guess is the way. To put yeah. It, right. It's something anybody can start a podcast. Trust me. Just look at the total number of podcasts that are started every year. Yeah. But about 1% make it to 25 episodes. And about 1% of those make it to a hundred. Mm-hmm. So anybody can, but it takes dedication and most of them that make it to a hundred, at least make some money. Yeah. Right. Cause if you don't make any money at all, you quit doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Or unless it's like, if it's, I don't know. There's dudes that have like a bro podcast on sports to do like two a week or something. And they don't care if they ever make any money. That, that's it's your hobby. That's fine. But if you're trying to do something to earn a living, it takes like a repetitive nature to it. It takes like this, this constant double down. And at yeah. the same time, throw away what doesn't work. Like, learn what doesn't work. When you're putting effort into a segment as a podcaster and you realize nobody listens to it, then stop yeah. doing it. Even if yeah. you like it, stop doing it, right? You know, if it's not adding to your revenue and your subscriber base, then, then quit doing that thing. But I'm all with you with why haven't you started yet, no matter what it is, whether it's a podcast or, you know, like, and you see what they will tell me, well, you know, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. I can go Nicole Sauce on your ass. Why? Why? Because if the answer is because you do a podcast and that works for you, I, I don't know that you're in the right mindset to be a podcaster. Like, are you a good presenter? Are you willing mm-hmm. to become a better presenter? Mm-hmm. You have a serious interest in the thing you want to podcast about. What is it that you want to podcast about? Well, blah, blah, blah. Well, why? Mm-hmm. Why that thing? Because it looks like an opportunity. 
That's not a bad thing. I mean, I started because I went with survival in the title because it was 2008 and there was a niche there and there was an opportunity there. But I was passionate about teaching lifestyle design. I knew I could do that with it. Yes. So why are you doing this thing? And if you don't have an answer to why, then, you know, until you do make money, go freaking DoorDash. Right. Yeah. Go Uber. I don't care. what. Go do something and start making more money come in. The money will also change your mindset. Yes. I, I My first online business, I worked for a company that did like long distance phone service. And so I didn't really work for them. It was like more like a, it was like an MLM thing. You just yeah. got a free website, started marketing it. And I'm like, my wife's like, why do you want to do that? I'm like, because there's like a gazillion people doing this. And if I can successfully market something online with a gazillion competitors, then I know yeah. how to market shit online. Yeah, nothing. Oh, okay, that makes oh. sense. You know, I'm lucky. I'm married to a woman that goes, "Oh, yeah, that makes total sense." Go ahead. <laughs> She's great. Right. You married the right sense. person for you. I know you're going to do it anyway, so yeah, okay, at least. It, so, <laughs> but I got my first check like 90 days into it. It was like 53 dollars. Yeah. Woo. And I was I was knocking down not quite, but close to 200 grand a year working for a company called Fluke Networks at the time as a regional VP, and I was yeah. all excited about it, you know. And again, you're, you're my wife's like, it's 50 bucks, you idiot. You have like. A thousand hours of work for my $50. You're like, just wait. I made this. I I created this. Like no one, like it was just all me. And I had to learn all these things to make this 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And when you start making money, that's that kind of money. And I think even the things that are somewhat plug in, like uh, a DoorDash or something, it's still totally different than going to work for Domino's as a pizza delivery person versus I'm selecting what I want, where I want, when I want, based on what it pays. Scrambler's yeah. in here. I don't know if he's even still doing DoorDash, but he used to do it a lot. But he would just drive around on weekends when he was doing other shit, turn it on, and when ones that paid well came up that were in yeah. the right look, he would take only those, but he'd put a couple hundred, a couple thousand dollars extra a month into his yeah. pocket doing that. That starts, then the, everything starts lighting up. Ding, 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 goes yeah. off. And you're like, well, what else can I do? What else can I do? And then you, you're going to have to, so there's not even said the thing about the long distance service sites. Have you ever seen me on a podcast go, and you should click on my banner for my long distance service or <laughs> no. cell phone or to get a calling <laughs> card or any, like, and e- when I started, even some of that was still legacy. It was still selling. Yeah. But it was, Never that successful. But I promise you, I knew how to roll out a freaking website. Yeah, you do. Through SEO. I knew how to write web copy. I knew how to write conversion funnels, right? Because I did that. So your first side hustle may not be something that you two years from now are like, hey, I want to get on Jack and Nicole's show and tell everybody about how successful I am. Yeah. But it might be the, the step that you need to take. To find the next step, to find the next step, to find the one that finally converts and you find where your passion and your talent overlap and your opportunity also is there. Right. If you learn, I hate doing this thing. Yeah. And I know how to track expenses now to optimize my tax write-offs yeah. to how they should be optimized. And I now know how to organize my schedule. And that's all you learn. Oh, and I didn't make enough per hour to make it worth it. You've learned some really important things because you've learned how to analyze your time's value and how much you're putting in, which means you're tracking that. You've learned how to optimize tax write-offs, which is important. And tracking all that stuff is important if you're going to be successful long term. And you've learned there's one thing you don't like to do. 
And maybe if you write down why you don't like to do it, you won't do another thing just like it that you don't mm. like to do. If you've learned that, the next thing you try will be something different and you will already have some skills in place for, for making it more successful. In some place, you will find the overlap of passion and talent. Yeah. And when you do, there like people say, but what about the opportunity? There will be an opportunity. Yes. There will be an opportunity in anything. The king of telling people that they shouldn't follow their passion is Mark Cuban. <laughs> owner of the Dallas Mavericks, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah, I know you don't do that because everybody says they're passionate, but you need to like sell something to market watch. This guy wouldn't have a dollar if he didn't follow his passion. Right. Because he was infatuated with basketball. He wanted to listen to basketball games on the radio and college basketball. So like in Indiana Pacers game just isn't on AM radio in Texas. So he was like started playing with the internet. He founded a company called AudioNet. They ended up putting all these radio stations on the internet so they could simulcast to, you know, all the people that left or people that want to listen to sports events or whatever. That turned into broadcast.com. He sold that to Yahoo for four billion freaking dollars. And then he bought a basketball team. Right. So this was basketball from beginning to end. <laughs> but don't chase your passions. Nope, it's, nope. That's it's it's insane that a person would say that. The only reason I know all this is he was one of my customers when I was coming up in sales. Yeah. As he was building all this shit. Right. So like, don't tell people not to do what you did. Right. Because it sounds like what a guru is supposed to say, like follow your passion, folks. Like Nicole loves coffee. I do. You love coffee. I love it. You like money, too, but you love coffee. I also like money <laughs> and silver and Bitcoin and yeah. all of the all of the benefits, <laughs> all of the forms of money. All of the forms of money. All of the monies. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, like if you hated coffee, how much harder would it have been to build a I, custom roasting business on coffee? I would have never done it. I, the only reason I even built it is because the coffee was so bad when I moved to Tennessee, I started roasting myself for home use. And I think if I hadn't have loved coffee, I would not have pushed through the first roaster fire if I even got that far. Because it's like, okay, my roasts are burnt up. So now I'm back to roasting on a half pound at a time until I fix this situation. Yeah. Which, for the record, guys, a half pound at a time is not, it's not very easy to produce orders that way. But, no. but it turned into a commercial roaster that lasted me six months before I had to upgrade its size again. So what's funny is when somebody says the first roaster fire, you know <laughs> instantly there was at least a second roaster fire. There has been more than one fire. The first. They would have called it the roaster fire. <laughs> roaster fire. By the way, uh, roasters catch on fire. It's one of the big like things you have to insure against if you're going to get insurance. They're like, but you might catch on fire. They are not wrong. They are not you wrong. Might catch on fire. <laughs> so let me ask you a totally different question. When you come to my yeah. workshops, you always come up with all kinds of, and I mean this in the best way possible, bullshit. Like. <laughs> to engage people and get people to do stuff. And the reason I say it's bullshit is because it's something I would have never thought of. Yes. Like last year you had ask me how I know. Yes. Right. And then one time you had this thing where you and David and other people were coming out pretending to be other people. Yeah. And just telling these ridiculous stories. Where does all that come from in the mind of Nicole sauce? What is the genesis of all this wonderful bullshit? Oh, the wonderful bullshit. I, (laughs) I was a corporate facilitator for a long time. And so I read rooms really well and I read body language really well. And my job as a facilitator is to get people to participate. So the people who are sitting there not wanting to is to get them to come out of their shell so that 
that spark can happen, right? The the change from poverty to prosperity, right? Greetings, David. And where that comes from is that background. I look at a room and I say, we need something different or they're not like, they're not going to pay attention to the next speaker because they need a break or they need, they need to switch out of their mindset. And so counter to popular belief, that stuff is not planned well in advance. Ask me how I know happened because people were not sharing their failures at your last workshop, which they mm-hmm. usually will naturally do. And there was a lot of, I, I don't know if there was, hesitant to look vulnerable in front of each other. And so I started telling, ask me how I know stories about crap I did wrong. And then people started sharing theirs and it became, it became a thing, right? Yeah. That's where it comes from. The, the David's actually the source of the let's pretend like we're other people. And he was trying to make me trip up in front of people (laughs) because one of his goals in life is to make me, is to make me like trip up. So he knows he, he won because he's one of the world's biggest trolls, right? And yeah. and that was it. He was really surprised when it didn't work. Now, his story was better than my story that year because he had thought about it a little bit longer. But, yeah. And he has gotten me a time or two. I will not I will not lie. <laughs> That's where it all comes from. The other thing is. If you don't remember to have fun as a prepper, as a homesteader, as a business person and you just serious all the time, you're going to be bad at marketing long term and. And you're not going to like your life. You got to have fun. I, it's just what is life for other than to have fun? Getting yeah. shocked by an electric fence was really fun at your house. That was pretty funny. It was fun. I was, I was like, that was actually fun for me, even though it hurt for a second. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the fact that like the one person out of, of over a thousand people that have been here. Yeah. Who we really wish didn't come. Yeah. That guy, he got shocked like two people after you. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, he got shocked. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> yeah. So I did, I did take pleasure in other people's pain, but it was, it was a pretty good prank and it was a harmless point prank. Really. It's like a moment of discomfort. Not a big deal. Pranks well, are great. <laughs> there had to be a, a special deal made with Dorothy so that the shocking event could occur. David, the day we put the electric fence in, and this is like May, and the workshop's always in November, yeah. started scheming for how to use the electric fence to shock students. Yeah. And Dorothy's like, you, David, you can't do this. These people come here, they stay here, they pay us money to be here. You can't electrocute them. And David was like, but I asked for so little. <laughs> I asked for so little from you people, and I had to be a good negotiator. I had to be the mediator between the two. Yeah, and say like, okay, you can't shock him Wednesday, and like his head sags. Like, (laughs) yeah, safety briefing on Thursday morning, and after the safety briefing, I have like a master switch that kills all the power out there. Yeah, so as soon as the lights went out, he just went and turned the master switch on. It was pretty fun. Yeah, you know, the next year he set up a motion sensor sprinkler. Yes. And he got a couple people with those, and I'm pretty sure Nick Ferguson figured out how to get David with it. So I think he got David once with it. So he turned his own prank around on him. You have to do that. And I think that you're, you know, the reason I even went down this path is it is important to have fun. Yes. Uh, I've got a quote up on the screen right now. The meaning of life is to learn and have fun. We are the otters of the universe. Richard Bach, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite authors from back in the day. And it is important. And like, it's part of why I do make myself still go to conventions and stuff and talk to people and just 
chill out and have a beer and listen to other people's stories and stuff. Cause I always come back with a complete new viewpoint of my own. And I'm able to like push that into my work where when you do, I don't care how much you love what you do. If you do the same thing every day in and out every yeah. day, no matter how cool it is, it becomes routine. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes routine, you need to, you need to disengage and then re-engage a different part of the brain and then bring that engagement with that part of your brain back into the thing that's routine. It won't be routine anymore. If that makes any freaking sense. I know that sounds like double triple talk, but, but it, it is what happens. Like I know you've experienced, you go out and you do an event or something and you come back and you're just on freaking fire. Yeah. Right. And it ain't because you learned something. It's because that you've switched things around in your head. It's, it's absolutely true. And you know, it's just like working out. If, I have a rowing machine. If I row 5,000 every day, at some point that it's not bad, but it doesn't really help me make progress. If I row 5,000 today and then walk a few miles tomorrow and then swim laps the next day and then lift weights like that, the changing up of the thing I'm doing actually helps the body uh, develop better. And it's it's that same thing, that repetitive, same routine every single day, exactly the same. It's it's not bad, but it's not moving you forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing with physical training, definitely, too. I'm sure you've been to a gym and you see yeah. people, the only thing they do is treadmill or Stairmaster or yeah. bike. Like, why don't you just buy one? And, like, I don't even know why you go to the gym if you only use one piece of equipment. But you can tell they don't even sweat anymore. Yeah. They're not even challenged. And what they're doing, if you'd never did it before and you got on and did it, it would just wipe you out. Yep. But they're watching TV or something and they're just like, there's no real effort going into it. And so there's no real training effect. There's no real training effect. I think you have to do the same thing with your mind when it comes to your business. You have to give it challenges outside of, of, of your business. Yeah. It's so funny. I hate doing consulting. Yeah. But Dorothy got drunk on the barter blanket and, and got us a dog from Joel Riles at Fortress yeah. Canine. And so I did a weekend of consulting with him. Mm-hmm. I had him in my house for a weekend to consult on his business. This is not a normal thing. Don't ask. Nope. No, you cannot buy this experience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> $2 million, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but like the, for like two weeks after that, I was making all kinds of changes and, and things in my own business. Yeah, because I had because I I stopped focusing on my thing and focused on somebody else's thing, and that's one of the best parts of consulting. The worst part of consulting, you know what it is. I do, but don't do that. Your heart and your soul into it for somebody, and then watching them not use it, like not use it. There's two kinds of consultants: ones that are all about the money, and they don't care. They're Mm -hmm. on to build the next person. The ones that care about the results of what they do, they generally don't last. They don't. No, because more clients than not will not do what you tell them to do. And they want to pay you again to tell them what to do again. They tell them they didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. Joel's well, done what you really said, helpful. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't know how it was helpful because you didn't do it. Yeah. But yeah, it was. We think so much differently now. No, you okay. don't. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> differently. No, okay, let's make it clear. Not only didn't you do it. You didn't do anything. <laughs> you did nothing. And you want to get in a room and talk about it again. And yeah, anyway, we've, we've strayed. Well, I mean, it, it, that's a thing, though, that that actually relates right back to being a five year overnight success. Right. If you yeah. seek advice and then you don't take the advice that was good advice, 
you're you're hindering yourself moving forward. It it's a it, and if the vi- advice is bad, don't go back and ask that person again. That's the other thing. Yeah. Don't take advice from people who are the wrong people to take advice from. My dad used to say, never take advice from anybody who's not more successful than you. Mm-hmm. And like many things I learned from my dad that were somewhat right, I had to modify that so it's not arrogance and stupidity. Mm-hmm. And it's basically my version is don't take advice from anybody who's not successful in the area where they're offering the advice. Right. They don't have to be more successful than you. That's an arrogance thing. And it's going to fundamentally limit who you can get advice from. Right. But yeah. if, like if somebody's never run a podcast and they say something like, hey, man, you should talk about this. Everybody's talking about this right now. Well, maybe. But when they start telling you how to fundamentally alter what you're doing, you're like, so are you a professional presenter? No. Yeah. You ever run a podcast before? No. Radio host? No. So no. You've never done any of this, but I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Great. Thanks for your advice. I, I usually just say thank you, and and that's it. It's like not yeah. taking that advice. I'm not going to tell them I'm not taking your advice. I'll just say thank you. Yeah, great. Because <laughs> if you tell them no, then they keep explaining to you why you're wrong. And I now we're the pig, and you're wrestling, and you're in the mud. And yeah, it's not good. The pig's happy, and you're not, and it's no good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like flat earthers who want to debate you. Yeah. Yeah. Then they run away. So you finally, that was a great one. For those that don't know, we had a flat earther. He wanted to debate me. And right at the same time this happened, Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Famous physicist is like, I'll never debate anybody on that because that's just a known and you shouldn't do that. And they might be able to win just because they're more charismatic or whatever. So I'm like, I'll I'll do it. So this guy, he wanted to do it. And I thought I set up the fairest professional debate format I have ever seen. Eight-minute opening. Both sides submit some questions. Moderator Nicole agreed to do this. This crazy I did. thing, and would take like I would, we'd both submit eight questions, and you would pick five of our eight. Yeah. Right, and we didn't know which five, and then yeah. you would also source outside and pick five more. So there would be fifteen questions in the question period, absolute enforced time of response and switching back, and then a four minute close, and then there was also a cross examination of like fifteen minutes, and. Two days before it, he ran away. He did run away. He, he knew he was going to lose. <laughs> but I mean, if, if he I was going to lose, that's how I want to do it. I don't want to mm-hmm. do a debate of two people yelling at each other. Yeah. That's not a debate. No, I'm really good with the mute button, too. <laughs> like, you were like, and if you go over your time, I will mute you. <laughs> if you don't follow the rules, I will mute you. <laughs> like, But that's how a debate should be. I think yeah. the mute button is underutilized. It is. We could do a whole series of debates, Nicole. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. With like that type of approach. But I found like in the really important things that are being lied about, nobody yeah. that's sure they're right wants to debate. No, that's because they don't have data. <laughs> it's kind of like this egg egg feed tractor supply thing. There's no data. Uh, there is no data. Uh, let, let, let's talk about that just for a second. Yeah. It has nothing to do with fighting. I think it's a bunch of bullshit that hit for somebody on TikTok. So now everybody's talking about it. I think so too. I, I I will submit I could be wrong. Yeah. And there could be a problem with the feed. That's not out of the scope of reality. And when I hear something like that that I'm skeptical about, I say, but could it be true? It could be true. What I haven't seen was anybody actually because they say it's because of a couple of nutrients being deficient in the feed. I haven't yes. seen an actual lab report saying yeah. these are missing from this that should be there. Yeah. And I also know that poultry at this time of year don't lay eggs. Yeah, they're just starting to again. Because yeah. 
Well, it was about Thanksgiving and I stopped getting eggs and I'm just yeah. getting them again now. Welcome to owning chickens and right. dogs. They, they, they respond to the cycle of light, right? Yes. Like this is how this works. And even the whole put lights in their coop and all only does so much. Yeah. And he's been and, like, I kept chickens forever. You look at this person and you go, no, you didn't. Yeah, that's the other no, thing. No, you didn't. You look like every other TikTok model out there. Your eyes are practically freaking extended six inches to the side. You've got like filters running. You've yeah. got perfect complexion. And you're telling me about your chickens. No, I, I, no, you didn't. And, and my further analysis of this is, is I have a pretty big community. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in it, believe it or not, keep chickens and ducks. Yes, we do. There's some talk about it now that everybody's talking about it, but I promise you if everybody's production dropped off in a way that was not typical, I'd have heard something about it, and I didn't, you know. I had, were, a, I had a hard egg year, Jack. Mine dropped off more than usual. Also, my ducks are four years old. Well, that, there's another thing. I kept chickens for years. Really? Same chickens? Because guess what? <laughs> There's this thing that happens with chickens. Yeah. It's yeah. called henno pause, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's at least henna slow. It's not really pause. It's henno, henno slow button, right? Yeah. They, they turn four years old. You're really, you're it's really one every other day. Yeah. Now. I mean, so a chicken's born with a thousand eggs potentially. And if they gave you 200 eggs a mm-hmm. year for three years, that's 600. There's only 400 left in a chamber and they start slowing down. <laughs> do. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's how it works. And some of those birds pop 250. Yeah. If a bird gets you 250 eggs for three years, they've 75% of every potential egg is gone. I, yeah, I think there's a lot of nonsense out there. I think back to the topic though, like since we don't go to nonsense, I think that's a big part of why we have successful podcasts. Yeah. Even though some successful, really successful podcasts go into total nonsense mode, I, I don't know. Well, so I could go get frantic about tractor supply feed online and make videos about it, and I would probably build my audience faster than what I'm doing now. Agreed. And it would be the wrong people. Yeah, that's the, the short-term thing. people. I, I want, I want long-term supportive listeners who are in the community and in the show because they're interested in what we talk about. Those are the people I want. I don't want, uh, you know, somebody who's constantly change, uh, chasing the next big conspiracy who's not willing to look at the facts or look for the facts. And it's it's something that's easy to do, especially when the narrative fits what we think is going to happen. And, you know, I have to do it too. I have to remind myself. But but is there really something to substantiate this? I did it with the, the ball jar lids in 2020 that you couldn't source because of Trump's policy on metal with China. Yeah. Uh, also completely fabricated. So I hmm. called Ball Factory and they told me they had four times the demand in 2020 over 2019. And that's what was up. Sure. And sure. I was like, oh, this happened in the 70s too. Okay. Got it. Yeah. 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 The thing, I, Tucker Carlson just did a thing on the chicken feed. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you make $50 million a year. Go buy a bag and have it analyzed. Yeah. Right. That would be that quick and you would have an answer. Like, And then I would be like, okay, you know what? Real journalism, breaking news. We've determined Mm -hmm. that the protein content in Purina's whatever, Producer's Pride, is 7% lower than advertised. Okay. Now we have journalism. That would be cool. Right. And that's Well, why don't you do it? I'm like, 
because I don't feed my chickens crap feed. Right. So I don't really care. Yeah, and I don't teach my podcast listeners to either. Could if be, you need to feed them, be, that's right? fine, but you should be looking for something better. Could we be wrong because we've so taught our people not to use garbage since they didn't use it, they didn't know to tell us because they don't know either and they don't care. Right, right. That's back to being a five-year overnight. That's success. Yep. Right? Train your customers how to do business with you. To me, that's also a fundamental business decision. So, like, when we used to run a commercial egg operation, yeah. we're like, how do you sell eggs for $10 a dozen and never leave the house? <laughs> because we only took the customers who would do business the way we wanted it done. They knew exactly how to get in touch with us, how to behave at the gate so they didn't get eaten by a dog. Right. They knew everything that they were supposed to do and they knew they would have to wait in line in a virtual line until eggs yeah. were ready for them. And anybody that complained, we went, I just don't think we can help you. Right. And and you shared exactly how you did it on your podcast while you were doing it. So if anybody wanted to replicate what you were doing, they could. They could do it, too. And then they would email you and ask them, ask you how to do it. Yeah. You did a presentation. They just on gave away every single thing that you do. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, I know you must not have freely given everything that, that I well, I gave you enough. Maybe not everything, because some of the minutia might get boring, but I gave you the, yeah. the outline. You, you, know. you said this is the story I tell specifically, and yeah. you read it. Yeah. This well, is I, how I, I distribute it. my sales copy on Craigslist. Yes. Yeah. This is how I raise the ducks. This yeah. is how I do the black oil sunflower. Like, you were yeah. very... Very clear. Story sell. Yeah. Because story sell. And then when somebody tries the product on the story, if the product lives up, then they come back for the product. You know, yeah. we, we still have customers that we just don't have that many birds anymore, but like they literally rely on us because of certain allergies and things they have that mm -hmm. our product doesn't have in it. And that's, but if you don't tell the story, they never try. Right. That's your hardest customer to earn the first time. And it's a customer you almost can't get rid of once you have them. Like they're just, they're, they're sticky. You know, that's what you want. You want sticky business that, that yeah. once you have it, like the person's like, I don't ever want you to go away. I keep telling Dorothy, raise the price. Why? Well, because store-bought eggs are $5 a dozen now. They are. More right? in some so stores. Raise our, so raise our price commensurate with what the underlying shit product costs. And mm -hmm. every time she does, nobody bats an eye. Nobody ever complains. And it, it's a difference. Like, who do you want your customer base to be? Do you want it that? Or do you want average? Because I'll tell you what average is. When I was 16 years old, I worked in a grocery store. Mm -hmm. I was not happy, but I needed money. So I did. Paid like four bucks an hour. Minimum wage was like 275. So I was making big bucks. Woo. And I it was like a mom pod grocery store. So I learned to do everything in the store. So one of the things I did, stock the dairy case. Do you know what you don't want to be doing? Stocking a dairy case in a town where every old person's on a fixed income. And does their shopping on Monday morning yep. after the Social Security check comes in. Do you know why? Because they complain to a 16-year-old kid that has no control over everything that milk went up one penny a gallon this week. Yeah. Do you want that customer? No. Nothing personally against them as a human being, but do I? I do not want that customer. No. That is the commodity market. And one big thing people need to understand, that's like I told you to raise your price way back in the day. Mm -hmm. You're not in the commodity market. No, I am not. And you will lose if you play in the commodity market. They own the commodity market. What makes us able to do things that they never can is our spectacular failure by their numbers yeah. is a resounding success by ours. Right. Like yeah, a food brand that does a million dollars a year is crap in corporate America. 
it is a multi-employee phenomenal success that's a legacy to be hounded down to the next generation in art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I'm not even going there. Yeah. That's, that's actually not the plan, although I am I have I have added an employee, Jack. Okay. I was never going to add an employee. I added an employee and she's great. And I realized to scale that you know an employee was necessary. You have to. You yeah. Have to. And and that makes it so I can go speak at these events, sell the coffee, and there's somebody making sure get the coffee orders. gets sent. Yeah. Get orders. Yeah. So. Anyway, great conversation as always. Hour and 40 minutes in. Yep. How do people get more sauce from Nicole Sauce? You can get more sauce from me. Earlier in the episode, I talked about the My <laughs> Three Things method. And right now, if you go to livingfreeintennessee.com, and click on the My Three Things free webinar. You can sign up. And on February 26th, we're doing an hour outlining the questions I ask to develop a life strategic plan. You will go out of that with your own workbook, all for free over at livingfreeintennessee.com, which is also my podcast website. If you want to tap into a network of doers, there's a really cool event coming in March called Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, Tennessee. No, Jack is not speaking there this time. He does not speak there every time. <laughs> but there are some great speakers. I actually, um, do you know who the Forward Observer is? Yeah. Yeah, Mike's coming to speak. Okay, just, cool. Just booked him. He's doing a two-hour little workshop during that about how to to do a, a, a situation analysis of your immediate area. That's going to be awesome. He's going to have... A booth there. Bear Independent will be back this time. And before the Self-Reliance Festival, we're doing medical stuff. That's at selfreliancefestival.com. If you go to the link in the show notes, though, Jack will be a little happier if you use his link because you get a little bit of a commission. I know you're probably it's not the thing that makes or breaks your year, but guys throw him a bone. He works hard. And if you do that and buy your ticket, our early bird price is 75 bucks. It expires on February 21st, and then it goes up to 100 bucks. If you want a VIP ticket, you get the digital recordings, a T-shirt. You get to come to a reception that we have just for the VIP tickets and sponsors. That's at 450, and that just helps us offset the expense. So those are the two things. What? Um, I have not been given a link. Oh, look at Telegram. (laughs) (laughs) Here. I will I will give you I will put the link in the comments just for you. Because right. I know your link by heart. <laughs> Do I just have the same link as always? Yes. Yeah, she didn't tell me that either. I did. I, but yeah. In like a long email or something. Oh, I can't, <laughs> for some reason I can't I suddenly can't post it. Don't worry about it. Just 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 send it to me and I'll get it into the show. Yeah, just get it in there, guys. It's yeah. selfrelinefestival.com. And of course, if you want premium coffee with an MSB discount, join Jack's membership and go to hollerose.com. Absolutely. <laughs> and definitely check out all the stuff Nicole's been doing. She's even been playing around with short content lately. She's on mm-hmm. TikTok. I'm on TikTok. You can get, you can get the spots on TikTok now. Yeah, I've got a good rant coming out later today about um about wanting Jeff Bezos to pay 90% of his wealth in taxes. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder if they understand how that, I don't want to, you know, yeah. Your thing, but yeah, you know exactly where I went with it's that. Gonna, it's going to really hurt the people on those fixed incomes that own a lot of Amazon stock and mutual funds and their, 
retirement accounts if you yeah. force the sale of yeah yeah I, you cannot understand at all how any of this works that's remember the show with the the the, the commercial with the old ladies and it was like the the, the Facebook wall of friends but he had she had a picture and she yeah. rips the picture down and the other one's like that's not how this works that's not how any of this works yeah it's that it's that it's I wish more people would think sometimes yeah. about like what are the what are the out like what are the repercussions of this decision I, I've had people recently where I've literally said does it hurt when you think <laughs> <laughs> and you know the best part is they don't even understand what you mean yeah because they like, don't know what it hurt when you think and they're like what <laughs> yeah I guess it does yeah <laughs> yeah either you're not doing it because it hurts or you're so bad at it it hurts I don't know which one it is but yeah. Anyway, Nicole, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me again. And well, as we wrap up, folks, I want to remind you guys, you can help support us by doing your online shopping where? tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And when you go there, you can shop for anything and everything and all the stuff there that's been reviewed. I've reviewed it because I've used it and I would use it again. Our item of the day today maybe maybe doesn't seem much like a prepper item. It is because it's multifunctional. And that's about being prepared. Velcro brand one wrap cable ties. These are basically cable ties that are made out of Velcro. You get a hundred of them for about 12 bucks. So they're about 12 cents a piece. So what can you do with them? Well, you can, you can, you know, organize all your cables and stuff like that because that's what they're for. But what else do they do? I'll give you three uses. If you're a fisherman for using them with fishing rods, that you probably never thought of in the write-up that I have today available at tspaz.com. Right there. Look at how long that article is, how much information I give away about that. And there's a ton of other things you can do with them. I'm big on function stacking, multifunctional items, multitaskers. These are great and they're inexpensive. And if you're an organization freak, they even come in multiple colors. And they actually make things that are basically these and they call them other things. And people pay like five, six times a piece per unit for those things like, oh, I don't know, rod organizers and stuff like that. So check those out. Remember, you can always help support us by doing that. And again, you can just go to tspaz.com and you can find everything that I've ever reviewed. This is what that looks like. Look, everything's in alphabetical order there. Lights, optics, permaculture, paleo keto stuff, food, energy, dehydrated food, barbecue and grilling. It's all stuff you know you can rely on or I wouldn't recommend you buy it. Also consider becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you help support uh, you help support us at about 18 cents an episode. You get a ton of discounts. It's a really cool way to do that. You just go to the Members tab at thesurvivalpodcast.com. I hope you guys enjoyed Nicole Sauce today. I always enjoy talking to her. Uh, again, tomorrow will be a Bitcoin breakout episode since we skipped it for our awesome interview about biochar yesterday. Uh, and we're going to do just me. I'm going to be talking about a lot of things going on with Bitcoin right now. Has some FUD, some things people are worried about that really are not important at all. And some things people are not paying attention to that are really, really, really super important. And then Friday, expert counsel Q&A show. And I talked to Nicole. I said, I'm short on material. So there'll be a Nicole sauce segment. Some other folks you haven't heard it from in quite a while. Amy Dingman will be on the Friday show. Who else? I'm not sure. Nick Ferguson, if he doesn't pike. We'll have a segment from him and uh, a bunch of others. And we'll come back on Monday and do it all again. With that's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out? 
just run you round. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.